0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we're doing the June wrap-up. I'll tell you about who we brought in to be the guest in just one second. But first, let me tell you about this month's sponsor. It's Abilene Christian University's Graduate School of Theology. And the Graduate School of Theology is not just a school. It's a community. We are a community of learners and disciples, curious about our faith and history, committed to becoming the hands and feet of Christ in our world. Now, we're not here to give you all the answers or to tell you what to do. We are here to teach you how to ask good questions, how to be curious and virtuous in the pursuit of knowledge. We're here to show you the skills of ministry and scholarship and offer you models of success and mentors to help you in your journey. So if you're looking for an MA, an MDiv, or maybe even a DMin, ACU is the place to go. And I say this as someone who is sitting at my desk staring at two degrees from ACU. So I believe in them personally and for many other reasons. But let me tell you something. If you want more information, go to our Facebook page, Newsworthy, Norseworthy on the old FB, and there is a link to ACU over there. So check them out. Now, the matter at hand. This month, we're doing the June wrap-up with my man from down south, way down south, Paul Nivison. I don't know how to say his last name. He'll correct me on the show. I don't really know how to say it. But uh, Paul's a buddy of mine, and we had to record this last week because Paul works for the Hillsong Church. And so this week, as you all know, is the Hillsong Conference And so I believe Paul is so busy because I think, and I'm not sure about this, I haven't got it verified, but I believe he is the personal chauffeur for Justin Bieber, who, as we all know, is at the conference. So uh, hit him up on Twitter, tell him how much you appreciate him taking care of Justin Bieber while he's down in Sydney. And uh, without further ado, here it is, June wrap-up, me and my man Paul doing the thing. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, friends. Today we've got with us from Sydney, Australia, Paul Nevison. Nevidson, did I say the last name right?
1: No, you, you said it wrong.
0: <laughs> How do you say it? How do you? What an introduction, Nevison. 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 Oh, oh Neveson. And, and I didn't even like give you like the Australia greeting. Like uh, good night, mate. Let's let's have a go at it. Should she, I done something yeah, like that? Yeah.
1: Maybe accents aren't your thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so like that's also my British accent as well. It's I just kind yeah, of mix yeah. them all together. Maybe stick to pastoring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul, welcome to the show. You and I have been friends. Um, I was trying to think. Was it after the first Richard Rohr podcast that we got uh, connected on the old internet?
1: Yes, it was. I was I was trying to think about what it was, and um, it was I was on like a like a three day Richard Rohr bender. Where I was just scouring the internet looking for like seminars he'd done, and uh-huh. just was just like overloading on Richard, and then um, yeah, then I, I you know the old Google stumbled upon your podcast, and I think it was the first one where yeah where he calls you cute.
0: Oh jeez. <laughs> I hate that you remember that. Yeah, that,
1: so um, that's yeah that that'll that'll go down in history, I think.
0: Yeah, that uh, that was not one of the highlights of my life, and I've got friends who continually remind me of that, and if yeah, friends on Facebook, anytime I post a picture, they say. Yeah, Roy we'll would call that
1: one cute. So. Yeah. So I listened to the Raw um, episode, and then I started looking around. There were actually other other really interesting ones. So I kind of got hooked. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> I
0: love it. I love it. Now, I knew uh, we had talked, corresponded, emailed, what have you not, for uh, for months. And when I was out in Albuquerque... I had uh, just a few minutes after the actual interview in which I was in the office of Roar's executive director. And he said, hey, I've got to take this, uh, this conference, video call, vi- uh, video chat, and then I'll take you to dinner. And so I'm sitting in there, and he said, yeah, I've got these guys are talking about a video thing. And uh, the guy who you're talking with, it says, yeah, this is my friend Paul, or my Mike Paul. Um, he's a video guy who works at Hillsong. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know Paul. And I was like you're yeah that's you right there and uh I didn't like interrupt the call but I texted you during the message or while you're talking I said "Dude are you talking to Roar's guy right now?" and, and I realized that was you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a, stra- a strange coincidence. But yeah. um oh, yeah, I think when it comes to Richard Roar, I think you and I are probably the president and vice president of the of the fanboys club. Yeah. We'll have to decide who's the president and who's the vice, but um, Well,
0: I I think we all know the answer to that. But we well, definitely well. We, we're definitely the same can- the uh, the same team. We're big Richard Rohr guys and he is yes. he's amazing. I think I've told you but I think I'm going to go back out there the the end of September and bring some of my, my preacher buddies out there and get to hang out with him and I'm I'm super pumped about that.
1: Now I have to see what I can do to gate crash that party.
0: Yeah, you can pretend like you're you're one of us. Now, uh, for people who don't know, you work at a church down in Sydney, Australia. I've uh, Hel- Helis,
1: uh, how do you say your church's name? Uh, some people call it Hell Song, but um, it's officially Hillsong.
0: Hills, I've, ne- I've never heard of it. Is that a new church? Is it, is it small? Well,
1: no, nah, yeah, it's a small little <laughs> you know, up-and-coming thing that's, just, that's happening. Um, music, which which is probably with your Church of Christ roots, that's probably why you haven't heard of it.
0: Yeah, I would probably just sit in a corner and like close my ears and sing Kumbaya <laughs> and, and wait till someone opened the Bible, and then I would check it. No, no, obviously you're at Hillsong, which... I don't know. It's like the biggest church in the world or something. It's, it's all over.
1: It's, it's growing. Yes. It's, it's in a few places for
0: sure. <laughs> it's in a few places. I'm, yeah, it's in a few. That's an, I'm, I'm personally concerned that this friendship is your attempt to take over my church and rebrand as a Hillsong church in Dallas. Well, you just have to be
1: careful. what's coming for you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you, uh, you're, vi- I don't know exactly even what your title is. I know you do video stuff. You sent me a video you did back—I guess it was January—for your visit, Vision Sunday, and that's yeah. like that's your stuff. That's what. Tell me exactly what you're.
1: Yeah, yeah. I sort of we. Uh, I work in the film, film and television department. My background's in journalism, um, and I've sort of been a uh, hill for the last fifteen years, um, and on staff for fourteen of those. Um, and so yeah, so I, I, I'm basically basically a documentary maker. I'm a director as we shoot. Um, and make yeah, all kinds of things for mostly for the church audience. Um, lots of sort of documentary stuff, like a lot of, uh, our social justice, um, uh, activities. I sort of travel a lot and document that. So yeah, so it's, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride. So how
0: long have you been on staff there? Uh,
1: I think this is my 14th or 15th year.
0: Did you, were you part of that church before you came on staff?
1: No, while I, um, I, Grew up in New Zealand, um, grew up Catholic, um, and then sort of kind of, you know, went by the wayside and then um, got involved in, in a church when I was sort of 18, 19, sort of had a radical, you know, road to Damascus kind of yeah, conversion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I ended up uh, going move, moving to London, living in London, and I sort of didn't know what I was going to do for church there, and a friend gave me this address on a scrap of paper, and I sort of turned up, and there was, you know, maybe 80 people mm-hmm. um, in this little lecture theatre, Uh, And then I didn't know, but that church had been planted by Hillsong, you know, a number of years before that. And then after about a year, it actually became Hillsong Church in London. So I was then on staff in London for uh, seven years, and then I've been in Sydney for the last uh, seven years.
0: Outstanding. Once again, Hillsong taking over churches, (laughs) one city at a time. Uh, One city at a time. But now, in your um, okay, so we were texting uh, earlier this month. And you said something about, hey, I'm trying to talk to someone on staff, trying to get him to to check out the podcast, and then you should have him on as a guest. And I thought, wait a minute. Are you allowed to admit that you listen to this podcast at Hillsong? I thought they would excommunicate you, but you told me, no, I'm allowed to as long as I put a disclaimer out there. And I said, okay, well, come on, the podcast. You can do your disclaimer, and then we can go.
1: Yes, the views that contained in this podcast are <laughs> entirely my
0: own. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Now, originally I was going to make you feel really just at Hillsong Home by inviting you on, and then I was going to uninvite you as soon as I got some pushback on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Uh,
0: nice. A little inside joke there. Okay, so let's let's do the wrap-up thing. All right. So the, uh, the first guest we had for the month of June was our friend... Science Mike. And he was talking, of course, about pornography, which is what you always want to talk about with a guy whose name is Science Mike. And I thought this would be perfect for a guy from Hillsong because for many pastors, Hillsong is like church porn. Like, you know, it's out there, but you shouldn't look at it because afterwards you just feel guilty and you feel like ashamed of your own self because you can't live up to this massive mega church down in Sydney, Australia. So that's my transition for having...
1: Okay. Wow. I've never heard it quite in those terms.
0: Okay. I was at... um, a friend's friend's church, and it's a, a huge auditorium. It's like a three-level auditorium, and I was like, it holds like a billion people. and I was like, I, th- that's where I came up with that term. And so, yeah, yeah. And sure. so there he is. Okay, now, uh, science. Mike was on the podcast, and he was talking a little bit about uh, his efforts of trying to communicate the message of Christianity without shame. And f- first and foremost, are you familiar with Science Mike? Have you listened to any of his stuff before?
1: Yeah, yeah. I First, I started listening to the liturgist podcast, um, you know, a while ago, and sort of came across him through that. And I, I really enjoy his work, like particularly, you know, the science part of it. I'm not a science guy at all, but <laughs> find it really fascinating in the way he—he's sort of like the subtitles for for science. He kind of puts it in a way that you exactly. can understand yeah. for the layperson. Um, yeah. But I did actually notice with that podcast when I was looking on iTunes, it's one of your most downloaded. So put uh, <laughs> your that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay speaking pulling no, yeah I that's
0: I just need to go that 's what I think he does so well is because he has all these hot button subjects, and including people who downloaded Mike sent out a tweet afterwards, and it was a retweet of I think my tweet or something, and so you know you go on Twitter and you see the people who've retweeted his comment or whatever, and so I get a message that says, "Your tweet has been retweeted, and it was a an adult entertainer who like right, retweeted yeah. me, and I was like um do I tell this to my wife or not? Like I, d- I didn't really know the the protocol for that sort of engagement, but obviously Mike is doing something in a community that, you know, Christianity typically is not associated with, but obviously it's a big deal. And one of the things I really loved about what he was trying to do is that thing about like, let's remove shame from the equation because it seems like shame is so much of what is sustaining addictive behaviors and, you know, people doing things in the dark.
1: And so yeah, totally, I mean, what I think I liked the, the sort of the phrase that kind of really jumped out at me. Out at me when he said, um, "It's not really about the answers, but it's about the questions, and that the question that's okay to ask these questions." And I think his approach to that is going to that helps a lot of people. When you can actually just all questions of good, you know, ask the question, and I think that's what I find refreshing about about his work for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I talked with uh, Jared McKenna, who is a fellow a fellow aussie and he said that it's his part of australia which i think is like the far western side is that yeah. right
1: it's almost another country it is <laughs> yeah, it's you, so far away
0: is australia even considered a real country though
1: well it's it's a continent i think you can fit the united states a few times inside of australia
0: yeah that that's not true. <laughs> tech it, texas is bigger than australia we both know that well, apparently. <laughs> but, he, but he said that his area, like it's very much no church affiliation for the majority of people. Is that a similar demographic in, in Sydney? Oh,
1: yeah. That's Australia-wide. Um, it's like, I think, I, I saw something the other day. It was like 48% of Australians identify as atheist. Oh, wow. Uh, so, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a secular country, um, and church attendance is, you know, not not massive
0: well the, the uh, interesting thing is that mike was saying that pornography is used more in places where there's more religion
1: well yes that that's that's what that's what i that's what they're saying i've heard it like you know whenever there's like a christian conference or something like the the internet spikes you know <laughs> during those times and i don't know and I, I just yeah it's kind of a um it's a strange phenomena but It'd be good if, um, I guess, we could talk about it and not sort of put it under the, you know, under the covers, if you like.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's typically where pornography starts, though, under the <laughs> covers. Okay, I don't want to talk about porn any more than this. We'll let science and I keep talking about porn. I want to jump to the next one because the next guest, uh, Jonathan Martin and Ian Cron, which was a tag team podcast, uh, I think there's a lot of connection because I think you and Ian are, are friends, right? Haven't you done a, at least one conference together?
1: Uh, I was at a conference yeah last year where Ian was speaking um I got to do a little session as well, but um, it was mostly Ian, which was great <laughs> and I got to drive him around and a little bit and oh um, really, yeah, yeah, well, I drove him to the airport and we had some other sessions, and yeah, it yeah. was really good, I really really liked him um, yeah. really. Really enjoyed his work and his honesty. Like that was a thing. He's brutally honest. Yes, he he <laughs> sort of ask him a question about something and he'll kind of tell you the truth and it's you, you might listen, not necessarily want to hear it.
0: Yeah, I so when we were at practice, I think I drove around a little bit afterwards and he's just a he's a fun guy to be around. Brilliant, insightful, and his story that he told on the podcast about him digging his way into the dumpster because someone put the uh, consecrated bread in. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. You guys probably aren't doing that at Hillsong very often. We're not going to find the... Who's that, that handsome man who's your pastor? What's his name?
1: Uh, Brian. Brian. Houston.
0: Brian Houston. You're not going to see Brian Houston in the dumpster very often, are you?
1: Uh, I can't say I've seen him, but <laughs> who, knows, who knows what he does at home?
0: I am. can I just make a side note here? Whenever Brian Houston... I've listened to a talk a couple of times, and I don't even know what he's saying because he has a funny accent, but I, he sounds like he's brilliant. He sounds like... He, you just want to give him
1: a hug and write notes from
0: whatever he's saying. Do you have that experience in meetings?
1: Um, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I so I, can, I have the 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 the, um, the gift of um, interpretation, so I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spiritual gift, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But, you okay. know, we love our pastor. He's great.
0: Good, good. Now we've talked uh, before about Eucharist, which was obviously the big part of, of Ian's conversation, and, and Jonathan Martin both talked about that. And you and I have have com- have had some conversations about. You're trying to wrestle with what does it look like in your context for doing Eucharist on a more regular and consistent basis, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, so I grew up Catholic, so you know, I knew about Eucharist. That was the main thing, right? So in a a Catholic mass, and then when being in the sort of the Pentecostal charismatic world, it takes on a different. um, Well, it's it's much more symbolic, I guess. You know, so in our church, we we would take communion once a month. Um, and it's kind of yeah, it's a much more symbolic kind of kind of thing. But I guess for me, I've been on a journey of rediscovering my Catholic roots a lot, and um, and for me, Eucharist has um, become much much more important. And I think when the difference between you know sort of your Catholic, your Orthodox, Anglican kind of kind of in their services. Eucharist is the main thing, right? Yeah. And the homily is, you know, twelve minutes. But for I think in the charismatic world, we've really taken, you know, the scripture, um, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So mm-hmm. the word becomes the main, the main thing. Um, and I think that's that's the difference. But for me, I've really, um, really been kind of looking into what the Eucharist is and 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 how it's for me. It's a great leveler yeah. that everyone comes to the table the same.
0: You said that it's just symbolic before. You said it was uh, in, in this tradition, the charismatic tradition, it's just symbolic. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, I think like in the Catholic tradition, you know, there's the whole, you know, that becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. Um, and I think in, you know, in the charismatic world, like it's it's not seen as that. Which, which I think Jonathan, like he brought it up, he says, you know, you know uh, Pentecostals and charismatics of all people who, who probably should, you know, be, be more inclined to sort of a more mystical approach to things. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I've, I've really, really kind of been hungering, I guess, for the Eucharist in a different way than I have in the past.
0: So does it come naturally to you with the Pentecostal slash Catholic background that you have? I mean, you seem like a melting pot for this uh, Catholic yeah. imagination.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When, when I first heard Ian talk about that at the conference that I went to, when he said, oh, I, you know, I have this, someone told him like I have this Catholic imagination and it just really hit me. I said, that's, that's exactly what I have. Yeah. Um, it's this idea of where you sort of don't quite fit, you know, in, in some of the, in some of the, in some of the worlds that you, that you move in. Um, but that sort of sacramental um, seeing multiple layers of meaning and things um, that does definitely come natural to me. Um and I think that you know, particularly as I of an artistic band, um, I think, and I think Ian talked about that as well. People have an artistic temperament. Mm-hmm. You're going to be able to see those levels of of meaning um, much more. So I mean, this I guess there's two things going on with the Eucharist. One thing is, you know, what is it actually? You know, the the, the great leveler that we can all come. and We leave our sort of arguments in the pews, and then we come and we share around this table. Um, I think there's something powerful about sharing a cup. You know. Um, drinking from the same cup that we share in each other's um, in each other's you know troubles and in our and our sorrows and in our joys because I think like in the Pentecostal world like in our church like you know you have your individual piece yeah, of bread, yeah. individual cup and I think what I love because I've been going to um, there's a, a Benedictine monastery not far from here and I go out there from time to time and to share the cup with 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 the community is actually a really powerful beautiful thing. Um, that we share in, our, in each other's lives rather than this sort of consumerist corporate, um, individualized kind of experience of spirituality. I think there's really something powerful about whether we share in this together, you know, um, unless germ- you,
0: unless you're a germaphobe <laughs> and then it absolutely is terrifying yeah. to you.
1: Yes. Well, you know, but I, I think there's, there's something to overcome there. But actually, I've, I was, um, a friend of mine sent me this, uh, this week, um, It's a quote from um, the Zohar, which is like some kind of Kabbalah kind of text. I'm starting to sound like Rob Bell. But uh, it says, says, uh, I'll read it to you because it was actually really good. It really helped me. It was like the narratives of the doctrine are its cloak um, and uh, the simple only look at the garment, but the instructed, however, see not merely the cloak, but what the cloak covers. And I think sometimes, you know, when we think of Eucharist, it's like it's this bread and it's this wine. It's sort of the outward ritual. But underneath that, is this whole other thing that I think Jesus is trying to get us, you know, to to understand that we actually I have a shared spirituality, we actually have a shared community. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, it's I found listening to Jonathan in particular, I felt like he'd been reading my mind, and you know, his whole journey of like being in the Pentecostal world, and then you know, he had some time, you know, he was. It's like an Anglican or Episcopal Church for for a year. And I I just really resonated with what he was saying. You
0: definitely get that, yeah. Yeah, you know, for me coming from, you know, the churches of Christ, which we we've joked about before, uh, there is not a whole lot of emotion typically in the tradition that I grew up in. And so it didn't come as intuitively, but I think it always in its absence I knew there was something missing. And so like I had a little bit of a Pentecostal phase in college because, you know, we all experiment when we're in college, you know, for me, it was uh, a little bit of Pentecostalism, (laughs) but like, but I always knew that there was something that it was, that there was, that was missing like this, this connection with something that's more transcendent and it's not just like beliefs, but it's an experience. And the mystics for me give language to that. And so Mm -hmm. as someone who's grown up taking communion every week and it's, it's, Probably more, as you mentioned, like the individual shot glass of the, the blood of Jesus and you take your pinch and you keep on passing. Uh, it, it's still there, but, you know, obviously sitting in pews and passing it doesn't get like the same experience of like we're all together around the table mm-hmm. and there's not the communal aspect of it. But for me, like I've taken this practice that I've done every week since I was a kid and I've started to now see it with different eyes and I see it as being far more important than I ever did before. Mm. Oh,
1: totally. Yeah. I mean, I think um, what I, this idea too of, do you take communion or do you receive it? Yeah. You know, and it's like a small word, but it, but it, but it actually changes everything because we take everything, you know, in our world, particularly in our Western world, where we take what we need and it's, but to receive something. And I think you get to a point in your Christianity when you've been going along for a while, you can start thinking that you've kind of got it together. Oh, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty holy. I've got it. I've got it. But we actually all need to receive. Yeah. And for me, I think Ian talked about it at this conference I was at. He talked about the power of receiving. Yeah. And I think, you know, particularly, as I don't know, you as a pastor, where you're actually always, you know, giving out and you're, you know, operating your gifts, there's, I don't know. Do you even feel like the need that I need to receive?
0: I do. Yeah. He's he has a Ian has a rant about uh, take is what happened in the garden. Like you took Adam mm. took, you know, Eve took. And, uh, you know, for me, like the, the way we do communion at our churches, we get around tables and we do pass the individual little cups around. But still, we're like it's in a circle. And I pretty much never am the one who says the this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. And so I'm always standing next to someone who passes it to me. And I really like that. It's like the one part of the service, along with the music, since like I, I really can't sing, uh, that I have nothing to do. Like I'm just there as a person receiving it with the people next to me, and that's there's something very cathartic and healing for me in that moment, where it's I'm here just like everyone else, just receiving something.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I used to uh, back in the day when I was you know first became a Christian. And I used to have a problem with, uh, well, not a problem, but I just used to hear, like, you know, the, um, with the recovery movement, movement and people would go, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm poor and I'm an alcoholic. And I used to have a problem with going, oh, don't they ever move on from from that hurt, from yeah, that brokenness, you know. And then now I have quite a number of friends who have been through the recovery movement. And now I actually see it as a actually really beautiful thing, and it's sort of a, a recognizing of our brokenness, that we never really move on. Um, we move on in some ways, but to know that we actually are in need, and I think that's you know like you listen to Richard Rohr and others, and we have so much you can learn from the recovery movement um, about that acknowledgement of I don't have it all together. Actually, yeah. I need Christ for my every breath, for my every you know everything I do. I'm going to need Christ. Yeah, and um, I don't know that sense of humility. You know, I think that's that's really powerful. And and in I don't know in our church world sometimes where where it's all about Uh, You know, having it together and, and, you know, onwards and upwards and upward mobility. I think the Eucharist really just, just, really just brings us down to actually, (laughs) you know, just, we all need, we all need to receive from God. Yeah.
0: I had that same rant about, you know, it's, they tell people that I'm always an alcoholic and and, in Jesus' eyes, that's not who you are. And I like, I think I probably even said that in a sermon, probably a decade. A decade ago, luckily, I don't remember where the link is to that podcast because I don't want anyone to hear that. (laughs) But I I had that same sort of like pompous attitude that, you know, no, eventually you move past that. And I think that's kind of like stage one Christianity, like first half of life stuff that Roar talks about, where like you want to change the world and you want to move the world and you do do and accomplish. And the second half is like you're giving your life away. And part of that is like giving away this idea that you're ever going to be perfected right here. It's like giving away the idea that you can. With your own willpower, drum enough enough willpower to keep yourself from doing whatever it is. And hmm. it's more now. It's like I'm I'm at the table. I'm accepting that I need the body and the blood of Christ. I'm accepting that I need to receive this. That I can't get past this on my own.
1: Yeah, I feel and I feel like we've missed something because it's like one of the only things that Jesus tells us to do right as yeah. a habitual do this and remember it to me.
0: Yeah,
1: and and I think yeah, and our sort of I don't know our desire to. I don't know. Um, I think we're, there's something that's being lost, um, yeah. for sure, particularly in, in the charismatic world, okay. well, in, in my experience of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, how do you, how do you guys even do communion? Because I know we've talked before, and you have two or 300 people in your creative team meetings and you know thousands of people in every service that you have. So how can you guys even imagine a way to do communion that is communal when you have like, a small herd of people inside this building together?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that's, that's part of the reason why our communion service looks like it does. It's some of it's, it's purely pragmatism because like in our main auditorium, there's like 4,000 people. Yeah, my Um, you know, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like there's just issues, you know, practical issues with that. Yeah. But you know, we have these, um, Thursday night meetings where it's sort of on our creative team and that's a much more relaxed kind of, um, And how many people are in this? Uh, Two, three hundred people. Yeah, you, that's the same yeah, thing with my creative yeah, meetings.
0: Yeah, yeah. Me and two and three. Yeah. Pe- two or th- do you say two or three people or two or three hundred?
1: Two or three hundred. Yes. Oh,
0: yeah, I didn't hear that hundred part. Yeah, yeah, that's,
1: yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you know you get to experiment a bit more there. Um, I don't know. I think it's something you know something you can do and um uh like in small groups. You know, like I think it's a yeah. it's a, actually I think it's a, like a small group kind of thing. Um, I know Jonathan talked about Wesley and Wesley serving communion to himself and I'm not sure really how that yeah, works, I but,
0: um. yeah, I don't know about that, but I do, and I joke about how big your church is. I, and there's some people that, um, have the belief that like the mega church is terrible and it's bad and you only can do church, you know, one, and I, I, like I joke about it cause I don't think that's true. Like I, I think there obviously are like thousands of people that are really blessed by the big church and thousands of people combined through a bunch of small churches together are blessed. And each expression, they, they bring something to the table that the other one doesn't have. And it connects with different people with different places. Uh, and so every, everyone has strengths and, and weaknesses of, of what they're bringing to the table. But, uh, one of the things you said earlier that I really liked is the idea that the table it's it's the great leveling ground. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who you are, where you're coming from. It's, it's the table. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that if you remember from the uh, the podcast that I did with uh, Josh Cobia, who was the worship pastor from the church that uh, the Jenners and the Kardashians uh, were part of from the very beginning, he said he he connected he pointed towards that, like this idea that, you know, doesn't matter who you are, where you're coming from, what's going on in your life. Like we all end up at the table needing to receive something, and it seems like that's the place where we realize I'm not better than you. You're not worse than me. We're all the same, Right.
1: Yeah, totally. I think there was something in one of Richard Rohr's uh, meditations this week or last week. There was like a quote um, from this sort of Jewish philosopher. Um, he says, Be kind to all because everyone is fighting a great battle.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's I don't know a if you read quote. that.
1: Yeah. And that's just like, I think that is, if we, there was a bit more of that and a little less judgment. Because the thing is, I find, you know, it's like we demand grace for ourselves while we judge others, you know, and so I think, you know, there's something about the all having need, all requiring grace um, that I think sometimes when we're just caught up and, you know, trying to write the world and, you know, trying to make it the way that, you know, fit into the way that we think it should be. Um, I think a lot of grace gets lost and a lot of people end up getting, getting trampled on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when Bell was on the podcast last, he talked about you know, the problem of the evangelical church and, and how it can be saved by the table. and, you know, this idea of like, we're just going to gather around the table. We're going to break bread. We're going to, you know, pour out some wine and say, this is the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And this is what we're all about. And it really changes everything. It changes your dynamic of, of, you know, who and what and who's right and who's in and who's out. Because there's something about like being at the table. It reminds you that you are jacked up too. Like you you (laughs) are not here on your own volition, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. We all have issues to work through for sure. Yeah, And I always think, um, you know, like I was thinking with you know, maybe um, shooting ahead to the Caitlyn Jenner mm-hmm. um, podcast, but I always think who was actually the fallen ones, you know, fallen and inverted uh, commas, where, you know, you have all these sort of Christian What did you call that? In,
0: in, inverted commas? Inver-
1: inverted commas, you know, fallen. As Quote,
0: in, quotations is what we call quotations. that in oh, the call them quotations. Okay, yes. okay,
1: translation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but who's fallen? You know, is it the transgendered person or is it the judgmental person that is, you know, bringing a lot of hate? You know, like I think we all have all our issues. Um, And I think with the the transgender thing, it's such a new conversation anyway, just society trying to wrap its head around it because there's just not a lot of understanding, let alone the church, which is still trying to come to terms with lots of issues. Um, But a bit of grace, I think, and a bit of understanding. Um, I think, too, like, you know, whenever you read the Gospels and you read Jesus, and he's always rehumanizing people. Whereas you, know, you hear the critics and the sort of the holier-than-thou people who are always dehumanise people. Because when you dehumanize someone, it's so much easier to criticize and say nasty things. Yep. But when you actually know someone, when you humanize and see people on the, the level of their humanity, which is what I think the Eucharist does, Yeah. we actually see each other as brothers and sisters. Um, so I was, went to Nepal last year on a trekking trip um, through the Himalayas, which was pretty oh, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, but... Uh, there's their greeting in Nepalese is like Namaste. And so my really bad translation that someone was telling me it was like Namaste means I recognise the spirit of life in you. And uh-huh. I think like if there was more of that, you know, and I think that's what the Eucharist does as well. It's like I recognise that you are an image bearer. Yeah. Um, I am an image bearer. And I think if we could see each other like that a little more then then man, I think gosh, I think I think um It would change you know, everything. So better, yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. One of the things that's amazing to me is like if if you look at some of the shows, at least on on, on America TV, and, and I don't even know if you guys have TV in Australia, but in in, in the states we have this this like this box that, that shows us pictures and, and movies and stuff like that. Um, wow. Yeah, Fine. but you the look magic. at yeah. So there's like the, the shows that are popular. You have things like you know Breaking Bad, where you have this this drug lord that everyone's rooting for. You have um, Mad Men, where you have Don Draper, this you know, womanizing, you know, terrible guy. You have you know, Game of Thrones, which is pretty much all just bad people. And like people find themselves rooting for these people and have a vested interest in their success and their development and, their, and, and winning, in and them winning because you've humanized them. like You've seen a backstory and you've got to know them, and all of a sudden the way that you, you root and your interest for them is changed because you have like, this personal bond with them. And I think that's what you see with with Josh's story about Caitlin is that he knew the person who sat in the front row of his church who would always be there to support him. He knew the person who was always there encouraging him. And now Caitlin's transformation and, and coming out as Caitlin, it's not like this random person or it's not just some idea or it's not just like the intellectual concept of a transgender person, but it's that's the person on the front row. And somehow seeing that image of God in the other person, it changes everything.
1: Oh, totally. Um, how can you how can you hate um, yourself? You know how can yeah. you how can you um, yeah hate? It's, yeah, it all comes down to it's it's fear, right? People people lash out when they don't understand something. Yeah,
0: and definitely.
1: when you when you when you don't understand, you hear you have fear, and so you you sort of want to you know it's all about tribalism, about you know protecting your little tribe and and who belongs and who doesn't belong and. And the thing is breaking down fear is by actually, I think, and I think um, Josh said it was like, you actually need to know some people, you know, like, yeah. and when you, when you, when you reach out like that, then it's, it's very difficult to um, be fearful of someone, you know.
0: Yeah. When, when I was in high school, I thought there were only two groups of, and this is, yeah, I was a 16 year old kid. I'm very embarrassed of this. Okay. But when I was 16, like there were only two groups of people that I thought it was okay to make fun of. One was Canadians and two was gays. And so oh, I cool. thought, like, if you make fun of these two people, it's completely fine. And I get to college, and I end up having a roommate who's, like, two different roommates who one was in each category. And so I never again thought it was okay to make fun of gay people after I had a gay roommate. Now, I'm still cool to make fun of Canadians because they're, so <laughs> they're not going to do anything to you. But, like, when, when you get to know someone, it, it changes everything. It really does. Okay. Yeah. Let's transition. Let's talk about the, uh, the P-Dens, Chris Green, Hunger Games style, Newsworthy – games showdown between two biblical scholars only one could survive harvard versus the holy spirit
1: oh yeah it was Uh, it was
0: it was intense it really was it was a battle
1: of the titans
0: it really was and uh one of the worst things you find when with battles like this is that um you know no one walks out unscathed and it was (laughs) it was a little overwhelming for everyone involved (laughs) okay so um had you had you heard of uh pete ends before
1: Pod- uh, I'd, yeah, through the podcast, okay. um, I'd heard I'd heard about it, uh, heard him, and, and um, yeah, it's his, one of his books are on my sort of reading list of to read, you know, I haven't read them yet, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, sort of, yeah, it was I feel so unqualified to talk about it because it's like you know biblical scholarship, <laughs> um, but it was kind of really interesting hearing them kind of go go back and forth on it, you know, and they have obviously have different perspectives.
0: Yeah, one of the things I really appreciated both about both of them was their humility. Like the, yeah, there was absolutely. a difference of how they approached text, but they were still civil about it. They they respected one another, and yeah. and that's just my experience with both of the guys. I actually, <clears throat> uh, I'm preaching through Exodus in my church on Sundays, at the church I'm a part of, and I emailed Ens, you know like two months ago and I said hey, what commentary should I read? And that same morning I sent out a bunch of comment, like that same email to a bunch of preacher friends, and the book I kept hearing from my preacher friends was ends commentary on the book of Exodus, and I was like. Oh, I didn't even Google to see if Pete had written a book <laughs> about it. and so email him like, "Hey, Pete, I was just joking. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get your book." Um, yeah, and he he of course thought it was funny, but I appreciate like the humility that both these guys were able to to see people with differences of opinion that had like big impact on how you understand the Bible, but they were still civil about it. And it, and I found that it was really helpful that you see you know Pete ends whose whose work has really helped me. I don't know about you, but like this journey from like a very simplistic way of understanding text. Mm-hmm seen a more complex uh, richer you know, scriptures that we have than just like the simple and I think you and I've talked about this before we talked about like a fairy tale and you move past a fairy tale and read it like as an, as an adult
1: Yeah totally I mean I think I when I was a younger Christian I sort of had this idea that you know the Bible had sort of fallen out of heaven as this magic book that you know was was completely you know perfect in every way. Um, and I was okay with that kind of idea, um, until I started to, um, read other things and, and start to look at the Bible more critically. And I guess, I mean, I have two probably things that go on in my head. One is, you know, so, you know, that when, when Tyndale was, you know, um, translating the Bible, um, you know, where it was 500 years ago, and he, he says to the bishops, you know, I want to translate a version so that the, the, the farm boy can understand it and he'll know the scriptures better than you bishops. But then also you have on the other side, this sort of critical historical kind of perspective of reading the scripture. And I think they probably, it's not either or for me, it's actually probably both and. Yeah. But there is sort of a, a plain a reading of scripture um, that blesses and helps and encourages. But then there's also, so much beneath that you know like augustine says something like you know there's five levels of of meaning in scripture and Uh and you know and the plain and the first reading the plain text reading is like only the first you know so i find that really encouraging actually really exciting um that there's actually so much depth to be able to read into the scriptures um more than just maybe what we've heard sort of dogmatically um from time to time because i remember like as a really young christian like I sort of had this this view of the Bible, you know, and it's partly this the tradition I grew up in that you know the Bible says it, that's all there is to it, kind of thing. Yeah. And then I remember seeing this documentary on television with a with a scholar who basically was going into how the Bible, you know, came together and some of the you know some of the the back and forth and the debate about accuracy and things. And I remember at the time just putting my you know fing- literally fingers in my ears, going blah blah blah, don't yeah. listen, don't listen. But I guess like as I've progressed. Um, I've become a lot more okay with with a, with I'm not needing the certainty, um, yeah. and being okay with mystery and embracing mystery, um, and it's something Augustine Augustine says again. It's like it's not that God is unknowable, but it's that He's endlessly knowable, and I find that really encouraging. Oh, that's that, great!
0: Yeah, it's
1: like you know, it's like you can, we try to put God in this little box, this little theological box that ticks all our you know our belief statements, mm-hmm. um, and I think really and but it's obviously He's much bigger than that um and i think when i when i think about scripture now i i I don't think so much about you know statements of belief but i think about statements of practice because Mm -hmm. you can you can um believe a whole lot of things but act in a completely different way um and so it's like um i don't it's more like you know so i think about evangelism now and i think we've talked about this before you know my sort of Matthew 28 so sort of the great commission is really informed now by Matthew 25 to the least of these. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, I'm not so much, you know, ticking boxes of the statement of belief because they really ask nothing of you. Um, but when it comes down to actually practice, how does this actually transform you? How does this help you live in live in this world as a, as a, um, as a, you know, an image bearer, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, that's, for me, that's far more important, right? Yeah, Because even, you know, like, you know, like, you, like, I don't know, I mean, with this tragedy that's happened in the U.S. this week, you know, a lot of these people who have these sort of really extreme views, you know, right-wing um, racist views, often will use the Bible to justify it. You know what I mean? They'll use yeah. a scripture, and they'll say they're doing it for God or whatever. So your statement of belief is really irrelevant. It's like, how do you act? How do you love? And so, the, you know, the news reports we've seen, um, over here on that whole tragedy, it's been really beautiful seeing the church there, um, the solidarity. Um, you know, there's this really beautiful image of the um, one of the, uh, the guy who spoke at the service. You know, he was praying over the chair of the pastor that had been killed and, and you know, just like people linking hands. And, and for me, you know, just from a really outsider's perspective, like for me, that is the gospel there. That is the scriptures in action, yeah. not just a you know blanket, I believe this, that, and the other thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when I was a 20-year-old uh, senior, I just graduated college, and I felt like I knew the Bible. I could quote a lot of verses, and I felt like, man, I've, I've got this under control. And then my first year in grad school, first year starting my, uh, my seminary experience, I take an intro to Old Testament class, and I leave my final and I'm walking on the lawn to my car, and I'm going, I don't know anything. Like, I used to think I really knew a lot, and I left that <laughs> class. I was like, I don't know anything about the Bible. Like, I thought I did, and maybe it's because, like you said, I had my fingers in my ears, so I didn't hear all the stuff that was critiquing my view, but at that point, I was like, I, I don't know anything, and during that class, one of the things that I remember to this day was my professor, who's a brilliant guy. I think uh, his PhD was from Harvard in Old Testament, and he was going on some rant about uh, you know, who wrote this, who wrote that, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but ultimately <clears throat> what it all comes down to is loving your neighbor. And I was like, yeah, yeah I, like that's it. Like, that's the pra- like your beliefs of you know, who, who was the author behind Exodus, that's okay. That, we can d- debate that. But ultimately, if the practice isn't loving your neighbors, then you, you've missed the whole point. What, what do you think the trans the uh, the transition is in people's heads to get us to go from saying it's just about believing the right thing to practicing the right thing? Like, how do you think you? How, maybe for you personally, like, how did you flip that switch? What what caused that to happen? Um, I th- uh, well, I, I besides this podcast, of course.
1: Besides the podcast, yeah. Um, I think it's when you and we all see it and we all do it because we all sort of have levels of hypocrisy in our own lives where where we say one thing and then do another i mean even you know paul you know says that you know uh, that you know he wants to do something but he does the opposite so yeah. we're, we're in good company um, yeah. but i think I, I think it's when you see that over and over um, people saying one thing and doing another it kind of makes you reevaluate um, how you you know cuz for me a lot of it, it comes like scripture becomes about like winning an argument mm mm-hmm. mhm we use it as a weapon. And it's like, I don't really think that was what it was. That's yeah. not what scripture was given to us for, right? No. And I like, I really enjoy a like when Raw talks about, you know, the idea of liminal space and, you know, being on the threshold in between. And I think sometimes the questions are more important than the answers sometimes when it comes to scripture. Actually, a friend of mine sent me this thing, it was really great. It was this, this idea of the trapeze. And it was like the question. Like each part of the trapeze is like a question that leads you to an answer that leads you to the next question, and the whole idea is this whole idea of momentum. It's not being stuck on the question or the answer, and we get stuck in this wow, kind of little space in between. You know, like yeah. we're, as we're reaching for the next thing, and it's the scary part in the middle. But that's actually where I think God actually comes and talks to us, and that's things where we where transformation and growth happens in that moment. And for me, it's the it's the question and the answer, um, and being okay with the uncertainty. Um, I don't know if that even answers your that, question yeah
0: that I love that trapeze image that makes that makes some more sense and it seems like first of all if we're going to go on who's going to win the election for president of the Roar fan club based on quotes I feel like you're <laughs> way ahead on this episode so you're <laughs> going to catch up you need yeah to catch up. I really I really do raw. I should I should but when you think about moving from like the questions like like that is part of the, the liminal space that is part of the process not just that's the uncomfortable time until you get the answer like that changes everything. It seems like, it seems except, like, bit,
1: go ahead. Except the answer is only as good as if it leads you to the next question. Oh, wow. So it's a constant momentum. You're it's always, not, yeah. Yeah. But, so, in,
0: but in that, like there has to be the sense of like humility that you realize there's always more questions and that this is about momentum and moving forward. And it seems when you have the smaller view of what scripture is and you have the smaller view of how God works, it seems like you can have more certainty. It seems like there is a greater sense of confidence when there are far less moving parts in the equation. Like it's, this is just what God said, and therefore let's do it. But when you realize the mystery in all of it, there's like, there has to be a sense of humility that's born into us or bred into Absolutely. us.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean it's so much easier to live with certainty. Yeah. we have all the boundaries very clear and this is how it is like that's great and uh, that grows churches you know to yeah. be honest it really and you it's, know, if you get up <laughs> yeah. you know you get up on the platform and say actually i don't really know about this that the other thing <laughs> you know you're not going to inspire a lot of confidence. No. Um, so maybe that's not the place to do it. But in the individual <laughs> life of the believer, perhaps the kind of being okay with uncertainty is, is yeah. that's probably the place. There, there <laughs> but is. You try it. You try it, Luke. You I'm gonna, it. I'm
0: uh, gonna try it because I want to eventually have my church taken over by Hillsong, so I can. Well, yes. That's. I mean, obviously, that's a great life goal for me. Is to. to... <laughs> I, I read a study that you know jurors found, or excuse me, uh, people in the jurors' box found witnesses who talk with more confidence to have a greater d- degree of competence. And so like, if you sound really confident in what you're saying, then people assume, Oh, you, you know it, even though when they did the, the background of that research is that there is no greater correlation between confidence and competence. It just yeah. appears that way. And so we, Absolutely. we follow people who talk really confidently and we will follow them because we want confidence because we know ultimately deep down inside that this whole thing is a mystery. And exactly. it's uncomfortable and it feels like you're you're out in the ocean and you can't touch the ground. And so you've got to learn to tread water when we what we really want is someone to throw us a rope that we can hold on to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Come on now. Come on. I, I started come preaching on. right you, there. You're preaching. You're like, yeah, I'm just almost you, on the floor.
0: You should uh, you should about to like have an acapella singing of just as I am. And you come forward and respond after that <laughs> right there.
1: <laughs> hey, man, preach it. I'm waving my hanky. I like in it. Pentecostal fashion.
0: I like it. I like it. Okay, um, what else are we going to talk about? I
1: guess, talk... I guess, I guess for me, like the paradox for this though is, which I still haven't really come to terms with, is that my faith is from a mystical, comes from a mystical knowledge, like mm-hmm. a knowing of Christ, like in a personal way. But my experience is still informed by a text. Can do you understand that? So Ken. it's like you have this kind of this in, internal knowing, you know, not just believing, but a knowing of what God has done in your life. But the way we still understand God like from a kind of more concrete way is through the scripture. And so how do we you still have to have a kind of, you know, your head screwed on, you know, more of an analytical, critical way of understanding what the scripture is because it tells us who Jesus is and yeah. etc. But that's for me is the paradox is, is that I, I sort of have this this inward knowing, but a lot of that is still informed by a text which which has um so, text, you know, so many ways you can go to
0: it so text is like an interpret interpretive tool for the inner experience that you have like that makes is that fair to say like it yeah, makes sense of I think, what's, that's
1: probably, I think that's probably how i how i approach it yeah for sure hmm. um, yeah that
0: makes sense because you see the bible not as like we're not believing in the bible we're not preaching the bible but we believe about the jesus that the bible preaches about yeah yeah and, and so that is like the rubric that that makes sense of what's going on inside of us
1: yeah, I mean that's the stuff like you know Brian Zahn That's his kind of yeah. that's kind of thing that he goes on about. Um, and I don't know. I think I think that's the better way to look at it because I think and for without really realizing that you know for a long time in my early Christian walk, you sort of I sort of worshipped the Bible, you know, yeah. <laughs> thinking I was worshiping God, but thinking that I had to defend the Bible or something. Yeah. Um, rather than letting the Bible speak for itself and letting Jesus, my experience of Jesus, illuminate that text.
0: Do you think you had to defend the Bible because if the Bible was was pulled out from underneath you, then your whole faith falls apart? Like if, if the Bible was seen to have a contradiction, if the Bible was seen to, to have something that was like out of place and all of a sudden the yeah. entire thing falls down?
1: And that's only because of the structure that I've been given, you know, which is obviously a product of the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where faith sort of had to kind of come into this sort of rationalistic kind of framework of argument. I think that's what we, you know, us who've been born since the Enlightenment, that's part of the tradition that we were handed. But when you sort of go beyond that to go, actually, my faith, whether the Bible is here or not, my faith is actually stands because I have an inward knowing. Um, you know, it's like I don't, I don't believe the Bible, but I know it, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's good. So,
0: so, Did you just come up is, with
1: that? that yeah. No, no, no. That was, that, was, that was raw without actual
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, you were just like, I'm so far ahead in the raw quotes. I'm yeah, I not have some clue. I don't even have
1: to quote him now. And I just actually thought you would, being a, being a fanboy, I thought you would have known. Oh, no, that's raw. But, you know. Oh, well. <laughs> but he, he tells this great story where he um, was got up in his pulpit and he said, says, I don't believe in the Bible. And he says, you know, he says it was like his parishioners were going to go and ring yeah. the bishop, get him kicked down again. No, 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 it's okay, but I know the Bible. And I think that's the transition you go from just believing it to knowing it and yeah. knowing it in different ways.
0: That's good. Uh, that's
1: good. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's still a journey, right? It's still a journey. I love it though. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Phyllis Tickle, who in a lot of ways, uh, many people saw her as like one of the architects of the emerging church. Did you guys even have the emerging church all the way down in Australia Did it make it down under?
1: uh apparently so i was probably pretty oblivious to it all but um apparently we did yeah <laughs> but I, I got confused it was like emergent emergence emerging yeah i all sounds the same to me
0: i yeah i uh, it Mm-mm. i didn't i, I like the people who they said were in the emergent, and obviously uh tony jones and brian mclaren were people who mm. uh who are connected to that but i i didn't get the i didn't get the email invite to say like you in or out so i just read their books and and liked it <laughs> And the story Tony Jones told about McLaren's book that Phyllis Tickle was the one who had this uh, this foreknowledge of it. This is going to be the, oh, big, yeah. the big book. Uh, did you ever read uh, McLaren's A New Kind of Christian?
1: Now, I think every person has lists of uh, lists of shame of books they haven't <sighs> written, movies they haven't watched, music they haven't heard of. I've got quite a list. Of, of all is three. a new kind of Christian and, on top uh, of that. But it is on my list. I've got like on my iPhone. I've got this this link, this little list of books. And as my wife will let me, um, with our monthly budget, I slowly start <laughs> to tick them off. And uh, his book is definitely, it's definitely on the list. Yeah. yeah, But I've heard heaps of his talks and really enjoy enjoy his perspective.
0: Yeah, yes, he, um...
1: but so this, yeah. yeah. Um, but with Phyllis Tickle, like I'd heard her name so many times, and it's when you when you're reading people. And the people that have influenced the people that you're reading, yeah. it's like oh, I really should, you know, um, I really should check her out. And then I saw a video on YouTube where she was talking to Pete Rollins, and they were kind of toe to toe. And I was like, man, anyone who can kind of go toe to toe with Pete Rollins and not get confused, like this is, this yes. is good.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not in that list of people who can go toe to toe with Pete and not get confused.
1: I know I'd, I'd have to listen to those episodes a couple of times to just try and get exactly what is going on. Yeah, there. but, but Phyllis Sickle, she
0: was she was able to do that. She is there, yeah, with it, totally,
1: yeah, and then I think when I there was that article that came out, um, where she basically talked about you know having cancer, and and I, she, her just sort of um, her demeanor and that really just struck me as something wow, this is a really yeah. awesome person. You know, yeah. you know, she said. I think, like she said, like dying is my next career. Yeah, and I just thought, wow, to have that kind of perspective is like I hope you know when I'm sort of in my 80s or you know that I can have a similar kind of perspective.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's what why I initially thought, man, I really would love to sit down and get an hour with her, and it would be well worth buying a plane ticket and flying over to Memphis to, to talk to her. And obviously, didn't work out uh, that way. But that's to go back to Roar. I mean, that is the the second half of life is you're you're giving. Yeah you're giving your life away and there is there's a lot of peace to that that you you understand like this this is part of it this is part of the journey and it's just another phase and yeah i I, i'm not there i'm i'm 33 right now (laughs) i'm not ready to think about that
1: no but what did you think what did you think about um so i think one of her more famous books like Great emergence, yeah, kind of idea that you know every five hundred years there's a there's a big kind of you know eBay auction or whatever on Christmas. Yeah, the the, the the rummage, the rummage sale. sale. Yeah, rummage so sale.
0: okay, so you think about it and you go five hundred years ago, the Enlightenment, which you discussed earlier. Obviously, that was a big turning point, and let's not get caught up on exactly the year and all that stuff. But the Enlightenment changed our existence, and the mm. comparison was always, well, when you had Gutenberg creating the printing press that was probably equivalent to the internet being created by, uh, I guess Al Gore who created it, I think, (laughs) uh, whatever. Um, but like that changed the accessibility of information and like you and I would not be talking without the internet right now. I mean, there's, there are relationships and there's information that I would not have probably had access to without the Mm. internet. And so I see this as like, this could be a huge changing thing. And people with, uh, you know, smartphones in their pocket that, um, I think my generation was kind of like the last one to grow up without that being part of their existence. Like most people under the age of 30 or 25 grew up always having like encyclopedias of information accessible in their fingertips. And so I I get the last 500 years and then right now like this being a big change. Um, You know, the the great schism or the, uh, you know, the dark age stuff. I don't really understand that too much (laughs) to get it. But I get right now this could be a big turning point. What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I totally think, you know, with the internet in particular, like the free flow of ideas has been, um, like, just kind of revolutionary. Um, and that's that's what I think is breaking down a lot of the tribalism as well, that, yeah. you know, you used to stick in your little tribe and who you knew and your belief statement and whatever. But now with the internet, you know, we're being the cross-pollination of ideas and being able to look into other people's worlds and then go, actually, we're actually bringing down the tribalism doesn't matter so much. Yep. There's The denominationalism, all these things. Um, they're not as important. And I think we're actually all richer for it. Yeah. And we're actually seeing actually all on the same team here. We actually all have something to bring to the table. Um, I think that's the exciting thing is, you know, like there's so much you learn from, from, from the churches of Christ.
0: Hold and, on. Let's um, mark Orthodox, that. Catholics,
1: whatever, no, mark let's that. just
0: stay with that first point. Um, what exactly do you think <laughs> Hillsong could learn from the churches of Christ? We can, We'll, we'll do that Harmony. in the next podcast. Harmony. Harmony
1: <laughs> you, guys, you guys major on the harmonies. Um, yeah. We, just, we major on the drums and the guitars.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, uh, it, it definitely changes when, like, first of all, you humanize people. Like, you actually get to know people in, across uh, you know, lines that you would have said on the other side of before. And you can't, like, vilify them when you go, oh, wait a minute. There's, like, good people in this tradition and that tradition. And it, it, it makes it so much better. And like you said, we are richer for it.
1: And I think the the big challenge, though, with the internet age is that you said, you know, we've got all this fingertip access to knowledge, Mm -hmm. but there is a real lack of wisdom with it.
0: So Mm. we have
1: all this information, but, and I think it's the stuff that Raw talks about, second half of life, about we don't Mm -hmm. have elders so much. Um, I think that is probably the challenge of the internet age, is how do we still bring through people to desire to become elders so we can actually, how do we pass the, the knowledge and actually... You know, handle it with wisdom and care and love, and yeah. actually make benefit rather than, you know, something that ends up dividing us all again. Yeah, that's
0: else. fascinating because, you know, you give a kid a a, a big Ford truck to drive, they're going to run over some people. Like they shouldn't have <laughs> that that at their fingertips. And the same with sometimes with information, that can do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about. It. I wonder what that even looks like today. Like where you have elders like the statesman obviously like the roar is for us as you've quoted him every 30 seconds on the podcast (laughs) he's an elder for you that like he's literally like the other side of the world from you i mean he's albuquerque new mexico and you're you know australia but he has that position for you and so i guess if if you're willing to submit and to give a person that sort of platform in your life then you can still find elders even in this in this you know post internet world
1: it's like everything changes but everything remains the same you know like we, yeah. still need, we still need mentors, we still need elders, but sometimes we get them via the internet as opposed to like from our village, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's something about humanity that actually doesn't change and these things are really important. Um, so yeah, I mean, but I feel like that's the challenge. That's the challenge. Um, but it's, you know, we can obviously overcome it and make it a benefit for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, hey, it's, uh, it's about that time. I know you have to go like, build a new cinema or whatever you guys do at Hillsong during the week. I don't know. But Venice this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I appreciate you uh, you coming on the podcast.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Thanks, Luke, for having me on.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have you back. And, and one of these days, we're going to have to have you actually in Texas.
1: You know what? I've been to Texas once. Really? Well, I was at like the airport, like Dallas, Worth, <laughs> airport. so it doesn't really count. But that's as close as I got. Oh and, uh,
0: man! But do I wait? Do
1: I need to bring a gun or something? Isn't that kind of how it works in Texas? No, me?
0: you get one when you go to the like when you leave the airport. Oh, you just, get you get issued. Right, just, they just hand you one whenever right. you go somewhere.
1: A, a gun in a truck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I,
0: I figured that the truck was just understood. I don't think you need to say right. that. But okay. Yeah, I think there was – you said that maybe you're going to come to a, a conference praxis next year. You texted me that you actually thought about coming to it since it seemed so outstanding.
1: Well, it, it tempted me. It tempted me for sure. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see.
0: You know what we need to do? You, you and I need to make a trip out to Albuquerque. and oh, uh, totally. we, You need to find an excuse where we can film something with Roar.
1: Yeah, but we have to make a promise to each other that we won't scream like little girls. When
0: end the- <laughs> hey, me and Richard deal? are friends. Like we're, I'm past that. So, Oh, that's true. That's true I, yeah. I can be that's your cool. elder elder, and I can lead you in that. <laughs> Even though it, it's clear, I submit you are the president of the Richard Rohr Fan Club. I will gladly take the VP.
1: Good. We've established that. Perfect.
0: Outstanding. All right, Paul, it's been fun.
1: All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.